Thank you again for being here. So repeat after me if you would. Go ahead and shout it. I want you to shout Wagons Ho. Ready? One, two, three. There you go. For 18 years we've been hunting buffalo. We've been making clothes out of deer hide, eating berries and roots, and living on a wagon train. Faith, Faith Bible Church has been a set-up, take-down church for 18 years. We've been on a wagon train headed to the promised land. We've been blessed with, uh, you know, some really, really awesome wagon masters, the elders. Uh, incredible cadre of people, you all. A few have left us for easier pastures. Many more have joined us along the way, and our deacons and our setup teams have actually been the incredible lion's share of difficult foraging, and they define faithfulness as well as servanthood. Occasionally, we've had some rough days, you know, as a church, uh, difficulties that we've faced, uh, maybe not a, an attack, uh, maybe not that you couldn't bathe for days, or disease, but uh, we have had some freezing mornings. I remember, in fact, uh, uh, you guys are smart to be here second hour. First hour, we had a couple of mornings where I couldn't feel my face until halfway through the sermon. It was so cold. And, uh, of course, it's been hot as well. But interesting enough, just like real pioneers who went all through that trauma of going to that new place where they were headed together and all that hardship, all of our struggle has made us into a very precious family. And amazingly, we know, do we not, that the church is people, not a facility. Can I hear an amen to that? It is true. Very soon, though, God's going to bring us to a place. Uh, we're going to establish a homestead. <laughs> uh, not a fort, not a castle, not a rocking chair, and definitely not a church. We're going to a piece of land that will be a tent and then a building where the church will gather. It's a place to worship the Lord, to live for His glory, to work, to produce fruit, to feed the believer, to counsel those who are in crisis, to care for the hurting, to proclaim the good news in this region, in Southern California, in this state, in this country, and in this world, to let Christ be known. This will be what you'll see today, our fire base in the midst of enemy territory. It will be our grange where we all gather and worship our Lord together. And today you'll see a base for worldwide ministry to exalt God, to equip the saints, to encourage through ministry, discipleship, and shepherding, through evangelizing the lost, and a place where we can establish the church locally as well as worldwide. We, we would love to see 10 FBC churches in the next 20 years. We'd love to reproduce ourselves that way in this coming place we hope to see us be faith, F-A-I-T-H. You see it in your outline? It's a family of families. We are gathered under the authority of the Word of God, pursuing intimacy with Jesus Christ, trained in the Christian disciplines with a heart for the lost. What should churches like ours do as we wrap up our, you know, in about a year, our time in our wagon train experience and getting to a place, well, we should listen to the Word of God. Listen to what God has to say. And as he challenges us, Timothy, Paul gives the purpose verse for this entire letter in chapter 3, verse 13. So open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, 
And we're going to look at just one verse and pull all the truth out of this one verse, 315. But I would like you to read it with me out loud from your outline so we can read it together from a good version. Here we go. It says this, everyone together from your outline, here we go, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Now some of you were looking for 1 Timothy 3, so take a look at your outline, let's read that one more time, I want to burn this into your heart and mind, here we go, ready? I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. In this verse, you're going to find three major truths, and that gives us our outline for today. So I want to highlight what the truths are in this verse with the outline. When point number one in your outline is we each have a role. We each have a role. We're not talking about dinner role. We're talking about a function. And I write, he says, so that you, you all, plural, may know how one ought to conduct himself in the church of God. The word know there means to get the information needed to make it work. That's what it means. The word know, get the information needed to make it work. That's like trying to understand that program install instructions. You ever done that with your computer? Uh, How uh, nightmarish that is for some of you, at least for me. Or how about that new app on your iPhone? You're trying to make sure that you got the information needed to make sure you install it right, you're using it right. Well, God has given us the information we need to function within the church and to do our part. God has given each of you a role, a function to serve in, to live out in the context of the local church. What is sad today is because of bad teaching and weak churches, most believers don't know how they ought to conduct themselves in the church. When asked a simple question, well, what do you think? You know, what does God expect of you as a Christian in the church? Most believers would say, well, I, yeah, I, I, I need to go to church 10 when I, when I can. I need to go to church when I can. That's not it, friends. And first of all, the Bible commands you to attend church. That's not an option. The Bible commands us to gather. And why does it command us to gather? Because gathering is what a church is. The church, by nature, is an assembly. We assemble together. You don't go to church. We are the church. You gather as a church to be equipped to manifest ourselves and uh, as, as the body of Christ and to exalt Him. And Hebrews chapter 10 even commands us to make sure we're here. And it tells us not to be the dreaded one, the dreaded some. The, the disdained some, the bad some. You say, what are you talking about? Take a look at Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. Don't be the some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. But how do you conduct yourselves? What is our job description? Well, honestly, a good study of your New Testament, you're going to find at least 60 to 70 exhortations, commands for Christians in the context of the church. I'm just going to highlight three, just three. That's all we have time for. But understand, the church is a family, not a facility. The church is a body, not a, what, building. And when Christ saved you, He immersed you into His church. 
He didn't just leave you as an orphan to run around. He gave you a family, and that family you actually belong to. What does he say in 1 Corinthians 12, 12? For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are what? One body. You're one body. So also is Christ. No Christian can live a healthy spiritual life without a biblical interconnectedness to a local church. Let me say it again. No Christian can live a healthy spiritual life without a biblical interconnectedness to a local church. That's you. You are immersed in a body. And if you're not immersed in a local church, you are raising questions as to your salvation. Say, Chris, that's a little strong. No, all born-again believers know they are absorbed and interconnected into a Christian community. In fact, you say that's too strong. No, it's not. Look at the phrase in verse 15, know how one ought, you ought to circle that, ought, that's the word necessary. Know how one is necessary to conduct himself. It, it is an obligation. Ought is an ongoing verb. It means you're continually necessary, meaning your involvement interconnected to a local church is an ongoing necessariness. Uh, you continually need to know the facts of your necessary involvement, your necessary conduct in the local church. Like a family living on a homestead, you all have a part to play along with your regular chores. Think about it, you know, there's guys that protect, guys that go hunting, guys that cook, uh, people that take care of building, repairing, organizing, just so life can be sustained. And sometimes we make announcements like children's ministry or set up a takedown, it's like just for us to be sustained, that's what it's going to take. But not for the exceptional church, but for a normal, average, regular, everyday biblical church. What are some of the responsibilities, according to the Word of God? What is your role, at least part of it? How are you to conduct yourselves? Well, I give you three just to think about. There are many more to think about. First, it's your responsibility to do the work of ministry. It's your responsibility to do the work of ministry. Local churches everywhere have messed this up. Uh, it is so misunderstood that even solid people don't get this straight. Understand the basic expectations for every Christian is laid out. If you're new with us, make sure you get this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, it says, He gave some as pastors and teachers. Why? For uh, Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. Well, what do the saints do? For the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, notice the text. He's saying God's job is to supply the church with leaders, teachers, pastors, mature leaders, who then their job is to equip the saints. The main verb in this passage is God gives the church what it needs. And he gives them spiritual leaders who then equip the saints. The saints' job is to do the work of the ministry so that each one and each other are built up and become more like Christ. God gives pastors, teachers to the church not to do all the work, but for them to work to exhaustion to equip the saints so that the church, you all, would do the work of ministry. All the elders are able to teach the word. But God gives the church one or more of those elders to equip the believers of that church. And we are blessed with an amazing, amazing bench. We've got the Seanage. 
We've got the Plez. We've got the man from down under. Uh, we've got the ex-actor, okay? We've got amazing guys who can equip. And equipping is an amazing, powerful verb in Greek. It means this. Look at the picture of it. It means to mend the net. So it's got holes in the net. You're mending, equipping. You're mending the net so it, it catches the ship, so it functions the right way. Your supply, it means equip. Equipping means supplying the army. It means to mend the bone so that it's no longer broken. Through the power of the Spirit, always according to the Word of God, we build up in mature believers, fixing whatever is lacking in the believers of that church, equipping the church, building the church. Uh, preaching is never preaching unless it's teaching, unless it's equipping, feeding the flock so they understand God's Word. And to equip is to bring a believer to completion, to, to fit them for the purpose. You say, what purpose? The purpose is the work of ministry, the service of ministry. You do the labor, the deeds, the actions, the service of ministry, of aiding others and giving help. Pastors are not to do all the visitation, you do. Elders are not to write all the notes of encouragement, you do. Staff members are not to arrange all the care and counseling and comforting, you are. Shepherds are not to do all the shepherding and programming and planning, you are. You do the work of ministry. Your role in the church individually is to do the work of ministry. And when each of you do that, when we all do that, then the entire church family grows to be more like Christ in love. The entire church family becomes more like Jesus Christ. In fact, he says that very clearly in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, as he wraps up this particular passage, he says this in your outline, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, and again, you've heard me say this before, but this is you. According to the proper working of each individual part, you are a part. Would you say to your neighbor right now, you are a part? Say it to him. Go ahead. There, you're a part. That's you. According, if you work the proper way, you parts, then it causes the whole body of that local church for the building up of itself in love. We all become more like Christ, our loving Savior. What's your role in the church? Let's take it a next step. It's your job, your responsibility, secondly in your outline, to serve faithfully with your giftedness. With your giftedness. Now this is similar to doing the labors of ministry, is ministering your special gift. Now the difference is this. When you're doing the work of ministry, it's those things that you know that represent Christ. It's anything and everything that needs to be done, an act of sacrifice, and that's something that we all do. Because you're gifted a certain way, you don't walk by people with a need. You meet that need. You serve people. You understand that. But giftedness is the way that God made you. Giftedness is a way to show off Jesus Christ. Giftedness is a way in which to glorify God in a way that's literally supernatural. What does he say in 1 Peter 4.10? Uh, 4, Look at it in 11. As each one, that's every single one of you, has received a special giftedness, singular, giftedness, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifolds. They're all really different. Manifold means varied, many colored. Manifold grace of God. And then he talks about two categories of gifts, speaking and serving. Whoever speaks, it is to do so as with one speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves, it is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that, here's the purpose, in all things God may be what? 
glorified through Christ Jesus, who belongs the glory, who belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter is not talking about your singing. He's not talking about your giftedness as cooking. He's not talking about your giftedness as Lego building, Nigel, okay? When you were born again, the Spirit gifted you with some measure, a percentage of one of these giftedness, a combination that makes you very unique. Whether service or helps, it could be teaching, it could be preaching, it could be administration, yes, a spiritual gift and necessary. It could be giving, it could be leading or governing, it could be the expressions of mercy where you put Christ's mercy on display, helping, exhorting, evangelism, knowledge, or wisdom. And when you have that combination of giftedness, some measure of those gifts, these are special ways that God gave you to show off Jesus Christ. So when you manifest them, we see Christ. Gifts are a window of Christ-likeness. A literal definition, a theological definition of giftedness is a God-given ability for service within the body of Christ. A God-given ability for service within the body of Christ. Gifts are how we treat each other. Gifts are how we look at each other. Listen, we as a church work hard to not look at each other by, you know, oh gosh, that's the lady with the weird personality. Or that's the guy with the weird habit. No, we look at each other in terms of giftedness as a saint, gifted to show off Jesus Christ in a way you never will. Every single person who's born again in this auditorium right now can put Christ on and display in a way that you never will. And that's why we esteem each other. That's why we affirm one another and love one another. Gifts are beyond acts of service. They're actually a passion. When you're gifted, you become passionate about showing that giftedness. You may actually get physically tired from using your giftedness, but you'll never get tired of using your giftedness. Let me say it again. You might want to write it down. You may get physically tired of using your giftedness, but you'll never get tired of using your giftedness. In other words, you love it when you do it. You are just delighting in the Lord as you manifest His presence through you. Giftedness reflects your personal passions. It reflects a faithfulness and a fruitfulness in others' lives. You begin to see others become more like Christ because you're exercising your giftedness. And you'll see that people are supernaturally impacted to come to Christ, to become like Christ, to follow Christ. Because of your giftedness. You have a gift, Christian. Do you know it? And are you using it? So we serve and we equip so that others will do the work of ministry and then we manifest our giftedness. And when all of us use our gifts in the church, we all see more of Christ and we all become more like our dear Savior when everyone's manifesting their giftedness, showing us Christ through them. He says, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself. And one of the ways you conduct yourselves is manifesting your giftedness. Your role in the church is to serve in ministry. And then listen to those who you minister to. And listen to those leaders who watch you minister so you can discover your giftedness. It's a command to exercise your giftedness. It is a role that each and every one of you fulfill. This is how you behave in the church. This is your conduct in the church. Do you know how to act in the church? Thirdly, and I'm just highlighting three, 
It's your responsibility to give financially with your resources. We could add here, it's your responsibility to disciple others, to comfort others. You know it's your responsibility in the church to pray for one another. To really go before the Lord in prayer. It's your responsibility to submit to one another, to encourage each other, to comfort one another. And I could go on and on 66 times on the one another's alone, on how we're to exercise that towards one another. But we're also to give joyously, generously, sacrificially from what God has given you. It's a clear command from your Savior to you. Every single born-again Christian, if you're a junior higher, to a can age no higher, your Lord expects you to give. Your struggle with giving is because you're too bound to this world, or you may have a weak view of God, or you're too untaught or too unsaved, and ultimately you're not reading the scriptures where he calls us to give. To give to God is because the Lord examines our giving. He really watches what we give. He knows our heart by what we give. Giving displays your commitment. Giving brings you reward. Giving supports the church's purposes to teach the word and to proclaim the gospel to the lost. And giving glorifies God. Giving's all over the New Testament, but let me give you the direct passage or one of the direct passages, and that would be in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. Take a look at it. Now concerning the collection for the saints. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. Your role in the church is to give financially. Look at verse 2 carefully. When do you give? On the first day of every week. That period is Sunday. Each one of you is to give. The participants is everyone who is saved. He says, put aside and save. And that nomenclature there is referring to the church, a safe place to which to store those funds. And then he says, how much? He says, as you prosper. The proportion is a percentage of your income. You say, Chris, how much should you give? And you can hear a pin drop right now. Listen, the Bible doesn't give a percentage, a number. It tells you to be sacrificial. It tells you to be proportionate. It should cost you like it cost Christ. In the context of giving, this verse is talking about financial giving, but there's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 8, verse 9 of 2 Corinthians. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ... That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became what? Poor. That through his poverty you might become rich. Giving is also to be joyful. Joyful. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, not because anybody forces you or manipulates you, but God, he loves a what? A cheerful giver. Giving. Now, this morning... If you're here and you've got two to three million dollars burning a hole in your pocket and you want to pay for the children's wing of the facility, we'll let you do that. But until that time, we're waiting and trusting that maybe we can give enough to actually finish out the shell and maybe, if the Lord wills, get that shade portion because today is an illustration of why we need it. But understand, most churches in America are like a professional football game. 
You've been there. Maybe you've watched it on TV. A professional football game is happening where 50,000 spectators sitting in the stands who desperately need exercise are watching 22 men on the field who desperately need rest. And that's often the case for the church. Too many Christians view their role in the body as a spectator and not a participant. At FBC, every born-again attender is a gifted minister. Gifted minister. And we're to become the church of a thousand ministers. A thousand ministers. All pulling together as a family to please the owner who is the head over the body until we reach our final perfect home. But it's not going to work unless you do your part, your role, and work together. And work together. That's your role. Number two in your outline. We are each having a relationship. You have a role, but you also have a relationship. Again, 1 Timothy 3.15, I write so that you may know how to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Household is not talking about a building, it's talking about a body. Not a program, but a people. Not a furniture, but a family. There are no solo saints. There are no independent families, no isolated singles. The moment that you were saved, you were immersed in the universal church, which always finds its expression in the local church. You're no longer selfish, but selfless. You're no longer independent, but dependent. You're no longer friendless, but in fellowship. You're no longer cut off. You're in a corporate community. You cannot say that you love the groom if you do not love the bride. You cannot say that you love Christ and do not love Christians. You cannot say that you love God and do not love His children. 1 John said it very plainly in 4.20. If someone says, I love God, he what? And hates his brother, he is a what? He's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Those who love Christ also love His church, His people. And as you live for Christ, you also live for His church. This is not a building you enter, but a body you gather with. This is not an association you join, but an assembly that you belong to. For the born-again, biblically astute believer, your life revolves around your church. Let me say it again. For the biblically astute Born-again believer, your life revolves around your church. Just as you live for Christ, because the Bible tells us to live is Christ, you also live for His church family. It is the household of God. You say, Chris, I've got so much to do. My work, my school, my family, my spouse, my kids, my hobbies, everything. is It's just so busy. Yet if Christ is your first love, then His children will be your life, your family, your identity with your family. With your family. You are in a relationship in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Let's look at both of those. First, in your outline, to one another. You're in a relationship to one another. The church. Paul says the household is a church. The church means a called out group of people. Set apart. This is the world And God takes His children and calls them to Himself. And they are set apart to be His children, His family, His body. 
We are eternal brothers and sisters put together by God and for God. By God and for God. And the joy that you feel right now that when you're joining these people, these men and women and children around you right now as you're sitting here is because God has given you a special relationship with one another. 66 times already said in the New Testament, God refers to our one another relationship. We are to love one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, confess our sins to one another, and so much more. This is what we're called to do. This is who we are. We're family. Soon, living together on a homestead, you have a working, alive, crucial relationships with one another. Positively, every family member is vital. There are no casts off. There's no secondary Christians. Everyone has a vital role. I mean, which one of your organs in your body do you want to do away with? Anyone? Anyone? You kind of like to keep them. Are you with me? And there's people, oh yeah, you don't need that, you don't need that, and then they discover, oh yeah, we really needed that. Right? That's who we are, the organs of the body. And we desperately need one another. Everyone is of great value. Negatively, that's a positive way to say that, a negative way to say that there are hundreds of commands in the New Testament that you are actually disobeying unless you enjoy community, family relationship that God designed for you in the household of God. Now, I've got to be honest. Uh, most people in our culture view church as a place that they attend and leave. And I am thankful that you love God's Word taught here as we seek the author's intended message as we seek that alone, allowing the Bible to speak for itself in every way, looking what God says here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, and I'm with the Apostle John. I agree with him and say amen. He says in 3 John chapter 4, I have no greater joy than this. What brings him no greater joy? He says, to hear of my children walking in the truth. And therefore, that is true of me, and I'm a pretty joyful guy because of all of you. On the foundation of God's word, though, Every healthy church goes beyond just hearing God's word and enjoying a unique relationship with each other and unique fellowship with each other. Now, we've worked hard to take the Lord and his word very seriously as a church, and yet not ourselves. Uh, that's why we try to laugh at ourselves often. And it's pretty easy to do because there's a lot to laugh at. We've worked hard to deal with sinful bents, but also to make our main priority to focus not on each other's weaknesses and not on each other's sinful distortions. Would you say amen if you have a sinful distortion? Yeah. We don't focus on that. We concentrate on each other's gifts and each other's passions and life in Christ and mutual appreciation. We've worked hard to take sin seriously, but to encourage love covering a multitude of sins in the way that when it's possible... We've worked hard to help believers to know that unintentional sin can be overlooked, but intentional defiant sin must be confronted. We've worked hard to remind you of God's expectations for you to be filled with the Spirit and to deal with one another in the Spirit and not in the flesh, and to not deal with one another in the flesh. We've worked hard to remind you and worked hard to make certain you know that you cannot live the Christian life in your own strength, but that it requires dependent obedience in order to glorify God in anything. You need to be filled with the Spirit. You can't do anything that glorifies God unless you're filled with the Spirit. It's got to be God through you. God glorifies God through you. We've worked hard to remind our church family of how difficult relationships are. Can you say amen that that's true? Relationships are messy. They're bloody. 
They're hard work, but still, regardless of that, we need to labor and pursue one anothering, fellowship, mutual ministry, and most of all, discipleship. Intentional relationships for the purpose of growth in Christ and coming to Christ in the gospel. Are you investing? Are you fellowshipping? Are you praying? Or are you one of those spectator Christians? COVID has almost forced us to live that way, and yet as a church, we disdain it. Now listen, God is the one who brought this all about. God gets all the glory. Can I hear an amen to that? He does. But the members of this church have worked hard to make this family a loving family, and we still need to work at it. We still need to work hard at that and excel still more. And friends, be ready to embrace more. Embrace more. Understand, we have a relationship with one another, one that we need to work at, one that we labor over. We also, secondly in your outline, we have a relationship to our God. To our God. Paul adds in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, the church of the living God. You see it there? The church of the living God. We are not aligning ourselves to a program, but a person. The living God, not a dead one. The God we know personally. We are the unique, called out people who belong to a real, alive, living God. Not an idol, not a philosophy, not a routine, and not a religion. Don't fall into routine. You are God's child, you're God's friend, you're God's family. You want to blow somebody away on an airplane or your neighbor when they're talking to you and you say, Jesus Christ, personal friend of mine. That's why we hear His Word is written. That's why we pray. That's why we worship with our entire lives because it's a living God. He's here right now in our presence. We're in His presence. He is alive and our faith is toward a living Savior. John 17, 3, you know it. This is eternal life that we may what? Know you. And that know is personal knowledge, intimate knowledge, relational knowledge. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Even in our fellowship, Christ is the center. You know what fellowship is. It's koinonia. It's koinonia. Listen, friends, would you please, even though we're big on, on, on donuts and coffee, even though we're big on ice cream truck, that's not fellowship. Fellowship is not red punch and stale cookies. Fellowship is sharing what we have in common. What do we have in common? Jesus Christ. It's sharing Christ in us with one another. It's letting Christ show through us to one another. That's fellowship. And when we share that, when we enjoy each other, when we celebrate and we talk about the things of the Lord, we talk about how God is working in our lives to one another, that's fellowship. When you stand and greet each other in services, it's to show off Jesus Christ. And in the future, when we move into a tent and then we move into a building, Lord willing, it will all be for Christ. That Christ is on display. The Lord of the land. The one we love first. And we're going to worship Him and give Him everything we have because He gave everything He had. That's why. When we sing. We sing exalting Him, and that encourages each other. When we serve, we're pleasing Him and also helping each other. And Paul reminds Timothy in the church, each member of the household has relationships with Christ and with each other. That's what makes the church unique. We are one. We are intimate. At any moment, right now, we could bow our heads 
And within a minute or so, if you're born again, you could be in God's presence, undistracted, and enjoying communion with the living God who saved you. Amen to that? That's the God we worship. So we have a relationship. We have a role. And number three in your outline, we have a reason. A reason. At the end of verse 15, it says, The church of the living God. The church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Pillar and support, that doesn't make any sense. You read the Bible, something like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Pillars do support. So why does he say support? Is he talking about support, support? Or is he talking about pillar and support? What is the difference? I don't understand that. Anybody with me? Okay. Well, I get worked up when I can't understand something. Why would God say pillar and also support? Because a pillar does support. So what's the answer? Well, it makes sense when you understand how the pillar was used in the first century. The pillar did support buildings, but the pillar also had another function. So it had a unique function, very much like the modern-day telephone pole. A pillar was used as a communication device. I have never been uh, surprised now when I go to an archaeological site, and you'll see a pillar there, and there'll be writing on it. And it's a notice. Sometimes, actually, the one that I saw that my favorite one was, this is where the barbershop is. That's what the pillar said. In Greek, barber here, get your hair cut right here at the pillar. It was a communication device. Are you tracking with me? The pillar, it's just like the telephone pole. Last time I read a telephone pole, it said this. It said, lost dog, mixed breed, tail broken in the middle, one eye missing, balding in spots, lost right back leg, goes by the name Lucky. Okay. What do you see all over telephone poles? Lost cat notices. What a shame. Buy a car. Check this event out. And that's exactly what the ancient pillar did too. Barbershop here. It was used to announce things of importance. The pillar was the broadcast community announcements. The pillar was a tool to proclaim. And that's the reason for the family of God. We're to be the pillar that proclaims. First in your outline, to proclaim. We're here to share the good news. We're here to share the good news. We're the pillar and the sign on the telephone pole to the community that points to Jesus Christ. We are the pillar that people need to read in order to find out how to, how to know God, how to find God. We together, as one body, are the announcement that Jesus is alive and He is the only way of salvation. We're the pillar. You're the proclaimers. The church is not about us. The church is not about a facility. The facility is not about us. It's about showing off Christ and displaying Christ and proclaiming Christ. It is proclaiming the name of Christ, sending out people to proclaim the name of Christ. It is not about our comfort, our ease, our accomplishments. Listen, I love being in the gym, and I'll love being in the tent, and I'm going to love being in the building and not baking out here about to pass out. But understand this, that's not what this is all about. What this is about today and every day, no matter where we are, tent, building, street, corner, gym, it doesn't matter. We're here to proclaim Christ. That's our mission. This people proclaims Christ. We're the pillar. And as we go out from our homestead, we're to make that manifested. Share the good news. Teach them God's word. Very soon, as we put the name of Jesus Christ on a piece of land and a tent and a building, we're going to say it's all for Christ. And all who are part of this church family 
belong to him. And truly, all we care about is you and anybody who joins us, knowing Christ, living for Christ, and proclaiming Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? It's about him. We want to exalt him. We want to hear his word. The gospel is first and foremost a message. There's one verse you're going to look at in a minute that actually talks about that you are to live worthy of the gospel. The rest of the references to the gospel in the New Testament are all about the message. Sharing the message. What's the message? You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't be religious enough. You can't go to enough churches. You can't even go to a Bible teaching church and somehow earn your way to heaven. Understand it is that God did the work on our behalf. That's the good news. And that God sent His only Son to die for our sin that separated us from God and to bear the punishment we deserve for our sin, to rise from the dead, and to provide a way that our sin could fall on Christ and His righteousness could cover us. And that's the only way you'll be in God's presence, to be absolutely perfect, covered in the perfect righteousness of Christ. you got to get that. That's our message. And we want to keep saying it. And I don't care how offensive it is or how people don't understand it. That is our message. God saves sinners. And if in repentance you turn from your sin, you hate your sin, you realize what you've done in your sin, and you know that it's judged on the cross, and by faith you completely give your life to Christ, then you can be saved now, given abundant life now, and eternal life forever with Jesus Christ. But listen, friends, if you don't come by way of Jesus Christ, I don't care what they say at your funeral and how many times they affirm you're in a better place, you are not in a better place. Only if you are in Christ Jesus is that true. Only if you're in Christ. But the good news should be proclaimed. We are the pillar that announces the good news of Christ. But we're also the support. Secondly, in your outline, the proof. To prove. The reason we are a pillar and support of the truth. And the word support there means to buttress. It means to back up the truth. You not only proclaim Jesus, you back the gospel up with your life individually. You back your life up, in a sense, you back up your message with the way that you live. In fact, even more importantly than you as an individual is us corporately. We corporately, our lives together, back up that truth, support that truth. In fact, he says in Philippians 1.27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So not only do you lip Jesus, you live Jesus. How do we do that? Jesus said, you will know you're my family if you have what? Love for one another. And all those one another's could probably be summarized by love. We sacrifice, we encourage, we give, we pray, all those things for one another. You know what? The world, you know this, is starving for relationships. They're starving for marriages that are truly one in Christ. They're starving for that. And we can offer that to them. We can show them the way to have relationships with one another that are right and wholesome and sweet and godly. We can do that. Understand, we not only show the world by our love for one another, we also show the world that He is real with our unity with our one heart, one mind. We prove that Jesus is alive when we love each other with one heart. One heart. 
that we work together. We are very different people, but we work together as one heart. When they see that, they don't understand it. That only happens in a business environment because they're paid to do it, but they wouldn't do it otherwise. We're a bunch of volunteers, and we do this because it exalts the Lord Jesus Christ, because He is one, so we'll be one. 18 years is a long time. Would you agree? But we have so much to look forward to. This wagon train has been uh, probably the greatest adventure of my life. But I believe the Lord intends us to use us in even greater ways in the future. That our future is brighter than our past. In fact, that's what Ephesians 3.20 and 21 says. It's a life verse for me. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or what? Even what we can imagine. According to the power that works within us. To Him be the glory where? In the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The Lord will use us greatly as we depend on His strength and we basically do all for His glory and not ourselves. And we forget ourselves and say, Lord, this is all about You. So let's take this home. A, B, C, D. You ready? FBC is all for Christ. Are you all for Christ and all for His bride? We are far from perfect. In fact, we are massively flawed. Can I hear an amen to that? As the chief flaw, I say amen. The most flawed. But this family is all for Christ. And we're going to teach His Word. We're going to try to develop a right understanding, sound doctrine about who God is. And we're going to try to practice that truth and share that truth with all who come. There are some of you who have made this your church home and you benefit from it, but you have no idea why. And you make no contribution to its health. But today, you're called upon the Lord from this verse to serve, to give, to pursue, to proclaim the gospel. Will you today, truly, all of you, worship Him? Because if you worship Him, that means that you're going to respond, not just as a hearer of the word, but a what? A doer, someone who obeys the word, to dependently practice the truth, to be a functioning member of a healthy church, to serve, to give to plug in as family. Letter B, believe great things. Would you believe great things? Believe that He will use you. Believe that He will use us to do things that we can't even imagine right now. Pray that once the wagon train is over that God will use us in this new homestead, in this region, state, country, and world in even greater ways than we can even imagine. Exceeding, abundant, beyond all that we ask or think. Talk about beginning churches. Talk about sending men. Talk about communication networks, talk about other avenues we haven't even considered yet. Believe God for great things. Would you please start praying your dreams for this church? Letter C. Commit to come to Christ and become like Christ. Don't be here and not know Jesus Christ. Don't be here and know about Him, but not know Him personally and intimately in in a very relational manner. There's nothing more important than knowing Christ Jesus personally. And there is nothing worse, nothing worse than hearing, depart from me, I never what? Knew you. Make sure the three W's are true of you. The three W's that indicate your heart. What's indicating your heart? Well, the first W is you want to follow Christ. Not that you do it quickly or perfectly, but you want to. And you pursue Him. You're willing, the second W, to do anything for Christ because the born-again heart is willing to do anything that Christ asks. Hate my father, hate my mother, you hear Emily say it. 
that nothing compares to your relationship to Christ. You're willing to do anything that Christ wants. And then the third W, your heart desires to worship Christ with your entire life. You're not just offering him a this, a that, a tidbit of this, your, your words and songs, but your life. Lord, all of me is for all of you. Every aspect of my life, every relationship, everything that I own, all for you. And then letter D, would you determine to allow the Lord to develop you in every area? If you're not serving, would you start? If you're not giving, would you start? Begin. If you're not sharing the gospel, would you initiate? Uh, it'll be painful, but you can get it. If you're not helping, would you commence? If you're not fellowshipping, would you initiate? If you're not praying routinely, would you kick it off? If you're not discipling or being a disciple, would you launch in? If you're not fellowshipping, embark. Do not allow anything to hinder your obedience today to function as the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would take your word and change our lives, that you would exalt yourself. And Father, if there's anybody who don't know you, would you draw them to yourself? And Father, if there the rest of us who are not stepping up, not being obedient, though we have your spirit, Father, we pray that we might become obedient. Take the steps necessary to become the man or woman you want us to be, to function as a part of a local church. And we'll give you all the glory for what you'll do. We thank you and we praise you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.